Here's a short poem I wrote, um, inspired by a song that Daryl wrote, inspired by you, and uh, this time here at People's Church. It's called People of Love. People of love are grown up, stand up, no time to sweat the small stuff. Let it fall off shoulder to shoulder. We're here for a reason. An eye for an eye can still be a temptation, even for people of love. People of hope carry a coal that lights this fire, that warms this platform, dances with the DNA from Pam to Carolyn. People of hope carry a flame for the world and a little faith. Everything is holy now. People of change, hey, what's your vision? None of us stands here alone. We're on the same train, laying down track as we go. Hard work, tedious, sometimes tender, searching for what's most important. It's an inside job, really, organic and transformative. People of change, you give me hope and love, and your courage is contagious. So we're now going to take the offering. I assume there's some ushers or someone who can pass the baskets. And um, to introduce the offering, these words, our generosity recognizes that together we can do more than we can do separately, not only to help one another in all things, including digging ourselves out of the snow, but to advance the cause of justice in the broader community. And despite what sometimes seems like an endless winter, we can work together to find an invincible summer of the Spirit. And now we'll do, uh, while we're doing the offering, if we're doing, do we have the baskets yet? Okay. So let's wait a second. Here we go. While we're doing the offering, uh, let's uh, sing the song, uh, Love Will Guide Us. We're going to need a lot of love this morning, I think. Um, so, Love Will Guide Us is really just two verses, and uh, the main verse, which is the title verse, Love Will Guide Us, we're going to sing twice <clears throat> at the end. The first time we sing that at the end, we're going to do it a cappella, and then the second time back with instruments. So, Jennifer and I will guide you through, and you can just remain seated for this. Love will guide us, peace has tried us, hope inside us will lead the way. On the road from greed to giving, love will guide us through the hard night. If you cannot sing like angels, if you cannot Speak before thousands, you can give love deep within you. You can change the world with your love. Love will guide us, peace has tried us, 
Hope inside us will lead the way on the road from greed to giving. Love will guide us through the night. Love will guide us. Peace has tried us. Hope inside us will lead the way on the road from greed to giving. Love will guide us through the hard times. May we recite together from the countless gifts we have been given, gifts of life and love and sustenance. We bring these portions to share in the works of love which none of us can accomplish alone. And I have to say again, it's wonderful how much music exists here in so many ways. It's just very touching. This is a poem by William Stafford. The way it is, there is a thread you follow It goes among things that change, but it doesn't change. People wonder about what you are pursuing. You have to explain about the thread. But it is hard for others to see. While you hold it, you can't get lost. Tragedies happen People get hurt or die, and you suffer and get old. Nothing you do can stop times unfolding. You don't ever let go of the thread. I'm going to bring a few words and... One of our poets, Don, will bring the the mic around afterwards for some time for you to tell a story about the unexpected gift of change in your life uh, or anything else that you think important to share here. The unexpected gifts of change, I could name many. Recognizing unexpectedly that my life partner would be a woman. Or losing my job in German studies because the fall of the Berlin Wall opened the door for new scholars from East Berlin who sought positions in America. And after all, they had for decades been barred from visiting any country outside the Eastern Bloc. Universities in the West were thrilled to have them. And I, too, thought that was something wonderful, that they got to come over here and work in our universities. But for me, that unexpected change brought the decision to become a minister. And in looking for options, I didn't even know which denomination I was going to choose, I found out about Unitarian Universalism. And that, that secured my, my choice, that 
comforted me that, yes, this is something that resonates and I am on the right path. What a welcome discovery. Having experienced unexpected gifts of change has not only made me a better minister, I hope, it has also brought insights and soul-searching that I probably would not have otherwise had. And I am very grateful. In addition, I've noticed practical benefits. For example, one of the churches I served had erected their small building with pride many years back. And new folks notice the old-timey dark paneling and the hodgepodge of chairs, and wondered if this place had ever been freshened up. And the new folks started talking about doing something about the walls, at least painting them with bright colors. Oh, no, we don't need to do that, became the mantra. But the younger folks said again, you have to do something to make this place more inviting. What people see now is your great-grandmother's parlor. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but if you really want the religious education program you keep talking about, your space needs to look nicer than this. Even a bit of paint and a good cleaning would make a difference. Somebody listened. They first painted the dark paneling. Hmm, that's not bad. They painted the ceiling. Well, I do declare. (laughs) They bought new chairs that all matched. Hallelujah. Then they built their religious education program. The unexpected gifts of change. Let's pause for a moment so you have an opportunity to think about what you might like to share and then Don will take the mic but let's take a moment just for inner reflection If you have something that you want to share about a gift of change or respond to Pam or um, anything else along this theme, I'd like to hear from you. Catherine Niesink, um, like about the early 2000s, 
I was singing along, and then all of a sudden, I wasn't singing along <laughs> in the sense that all of a sudden I was coughing a lot more. I was just not giving the notes down below that I used to have, and I could not stop coughing whenever I sang. And I thought, this is very odd. So I finally, after years of saying, okay, what's, I went to the doctor, and they said I had bronchial asthma and that my esophagus had been affected by um, the asthma and all that which meant that my vocal cords were not, they were flabby. They were not the way they should be, which for me, I had been in three or four choirs. Sometimes I was in three, sometimes all the time. I was just singing, singing, singing. And that was, that took me years, years, because when you invest so heavily in something, the work I did, I enjoyed, I found it that I could do it well, but it was not what I loved. And losing something feeling like you're losing something. I didn't, but feeling like you're losing something is just, it's very hard. And at that same time, I became a member of Wild Ones, which is a native plant society, and became more and more involved in the native plant area and growing things that were native and working on my yard and finding things. And I found that, okay, there were other things that I could do. I could transfer. So, for example, the labyrinth here has all native plants because that was something that I wanted to do. Um, and I worked with Josh McDonald, who is uh, Susan Murdoch's son, and we worked on the labyrinth. Those are things I could do. And so I found some things that made me, gave me joy as well. And then, of course, by not singing so much and taking medicine, the voices come back somewhat. So this is way cool. So anyway. <laughs> Thank you, Catherine. And let me say for those of you who are on the front, um, since it's easy now to just kind of turn around and um, uh, connect with each other that way. Thanks, Catherine. Thank you, you so much. You can see much. that change is often a shock in the beginning. <laughs> Please say your name before you start. I am Kay Spade. Um, when I started uh, teaching in 1961, um, my husband and I were both uh, fresh out of Western and found lots of people wanting us because teachers were in pretty good need at that time. So we picked Portage because I had done my student teaching there and because it was, you know, the school system around here to uh, to be in. And so I taught there for several years until I... Um, until we decided to start our family. And so um, in those days, you didn't just take a few days off. You stayed home with the kids. Most people did. So I stayed home for a few years to get my kids uh, to the point where they would be getting school. And then I decided to go back to school. Well, by that time, 1977, Portage, um, no, not, yeah, uh, Portage wasn't hiring anybody. They were loaded with teachers, and there were no openings. And so um, I thought, well, I sent my resume around. And I got an answer from Vicksburg. <clears throat> and I thought, oh, my goodness, way out in the country, you know. So I drove all the way out there, you know, 30 miles and interviewed. And they wanted me right away and had a nice spot for me. So I thought, well, I'll, you know, I'll teach her for a year or two, and then I'll get back into Portage as soon as I can. My husband was still in Portage. Well, I tell you what, that first year was amazing for me. Just the difference in the kids, the participation, the attitude. I mean, it was a kind of a step back in time in a way, even though, you know, the curriculum and everything was up to date, but the kids. Uh, the first, I laughed because I came home the first week and I told my husband, I said, you know what, after my first hour class, I have to go to the back of the room and sweep up 
the cow stuff in the back because the boys had come in from the from their chores and come into the classroom and the stuff dropped off their shoes during first hour. So, but they were just the most wonderful kids and I stayed for 20 years. I wouldn't have left there. It was just a wonderful change. Thanks, Kay. That sounds like the school I was in for the early years. Matthew McCormick. You know, um, so often change happens uh, when we become alone, when we're in a relationship or our spouse dies, or and we have we often feel as if we have to go through that change by ourselves. And the wonderful thing about this change that we are going through right now as a church is that we have so many of each other to rely upon and talk with. And it's just um, perhaps that's an, an obvious uh, given, but it's, it's just wonderful. If you think about that as a church and a community, we all have each other to, to talk about it and so forth. David Greenquist. Um, I think there were two big changes in my life that, that both affected this church. One occurred in the mid-'80s when a minister I've often spoken about, about, which maybe only a handful of you remember, Roger Greeley. He decided to step down so he could become associate dean of the Humanist Institute. And when I first heard about it, I was sad because uh, this was somebody I miss. And believe it or not, I still do because he, I find him truly amazing and all his work in the civil rights movement. But then, so then when we get our next permanently settled minister, I'm sorry if I bring up an unpleasant subject, but he was good. But then later on down the road, when he decides to leave, I think the echo, the sentiment people echoed when he left was more like ding dong, the witch is dead. But, and the second change in my life was, as Matthew just said, losing a spouse like I did five years ago. Um, and I still miss her. I, I asked myself, how am I going to get along without Cheryl? Not only has this church helped me with this transition, but that ballet company that I'm so closely associated with I was offered a volunteer position to be their doorman, which I gracefully accepted, and, I'm, and, I've, and I've not regretted it one bit. Thanks, David. Wyatt? I'm Wyatt Clan. And I was uh, really enjoying the nice uh, summer and fall season, and then winter came, and that was like a big change. And for me, I really like to be outside a lot, and I couldn't go barefoot outdoors anymore. I was, like, getting pretty sad about that. But 
After a little bit of being in winter, I really, I really started to feel like I was embracing the snow and the change that it had brought. And though I was a little bit sad at first that it wasn't all nice and green outside, it it really made me appreciate the nice green summer plants. And it felt like, even though it was really cold outside and sort of dead because there's no green leaves everywhere, it really felt like I was sort of illuminated in like the darkest hour, if that makes sense. And I think that really helped me appreciate and embrace change a lot better within myself and find power within. Thank you, Wyatt. Thanks, Wyatt. A couple more people. Thank you. Thank you. My name is uh, Patrick Sheehan, and I've been coming here since I've moved uh, in late September when I can make it. Just kind of piggybacking off of what Wyatt said. I mean, this doesn't have so much to do with change. I had wanted to share a, uh antidote about something that happened on the way to church today. I was going down West Main Street, and I was behind a woman who had a sticker on the back of her car that said, Honk for Gay Rights. So... Being kind of lighthearted, I figured I would honk. And the lady was very, very confused and gave me one of these. <laughs> she had cut me off or something, and I waved, and she just like, like this. So I just want to say, in this changing weather, be careful what you honk at. <laughs> Thank you. I'm Sue Glenn, and and my situation has to do with some loss that uh, when my mother lost the ability to live by herself and she went into assisted care, um, that was a sad point in my life, and I tried to visit her as often as I could. And she loved to sing. She'd been in the choir of many years. And as much as I could, um, I tried to have us sing together in, in some way. And... Uh, this carried through with some of the activities at the at the place she stayed, and also there was one place she stayed that had a piano that that uh, would play by itself, and so we could sing along with it because it would be better than just us. Um, and when she died, um, it helped me to join the choir here, so that that um, that kept up the the music in my life, and and I really enjoyed that. David Isaacson. <clears throat> First of all, Don, thank you for that poem. Uh, I, I sometimes learn from, besides my own experience, parables. And one of the wisest parables I know <clears throat> excuse me, about transition and change is the profound question, how many psychologists does it take to change a light bulb? None. Change must come from within. Uh, thanks, David. 
I'm Sue Caulfield, and I just feel moved to share this, listen to everyone talk. Um, but as you know, I lost my dad two years ago, and that's, that's a hard change. But in the, what's shown up in the last six months is spending time with my mother, I've learned that she's a different person than I thought she was. I always knew her as mom, as married to dad. I didn't know her. I thought I knew her, and I think I knew her in some ways, but I didn't really know a lot about her until dad was gone because she has to now show up in a different way. And, I'm, and I have to relate to her differently. I can't relate to her the way I used to because dad was a buffer um, in some ways, and now he's not there. And so we're learning how to relate, and it's really becoming quite nice. And, uh, and I, I just also have to say this, I'm finding the same things happening here, is I'm learning about different people and different gifts uh, and different ways that we need to relate. And it's, uh, it's really, it is a gift. Anybody else? Thank you.